Welcome to AMM Conversation, official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. I'm your host, Jason Karras. Season four of the podcast is exploring effective strategies to engage HCPs via social and multimedia. Before we begin, please make sure to follow, rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with friends and colleagues. We appreciate the support. In today's episode, three members of the American College of Physicians' publishing staff discuss how they keep their 165,000 members and other healthcare professionals current via multimedia offerings. My guests today are Kevin Bollum, Director of Advertising Sales at the ACP. Kevin has more than 35 years of experience in sales, development, and management of innovative multi-platform print and digital media solutions. He handles all the sales and marketing of ACP's publications and websites. Thomas McCabe, Associate Publisher at the ACP. Tom has more than 30 years of experience in the development of innovative advanced media programs and marketing solutions. He focuses on electronic publishing, media production, and new product development. And Todd Ware, Director of Production and Electronic Publishing for the college's three publications, Annals of Internal Medicine, ACP Internist, and ACP Hospitalist. Todd's been working in the production of mixed media publications for more than 30 years. Thanks for joining the show today. Kevin, with uh, 2021 upon us, what do you see as the biggest challenges that this industry is facing uh, for the next year or so? Well, thanks, Jason. I um, appreciate being part of the uh, podcast program. As past president and a former Nexus Award winner, uh, I've been really looking forward to uh, being a part of the series. So thanks again for the opportunity. The past year has really been challenging, but it's been exciting as well. Um, we've all learned a lot. And I think the most specific thing is we've all learned how that we really need to adapt. And uh, what I mean by adapt is to adapt to living differently and working differently. I know we've all had to embrace a, a real digital lifestyle, you know, and I think as a society, we were going in that direction, but COVID really accelerated us in, 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 in living a more digital lifestyle. And for some, uh, the learning curve has really been dramatic. Um, for our physician members, you know, the ACP is made up of 165,000 paying members. We also have many other healthcare providers who consume our content, but to them, it's really been a great challenge. Um, our physicians had to you know, employ telemedicine to stay in touch with their patients. Um, they've had to remain current in the latest scientific findings, not only on COVID, but in their areas of clinical focus. And they've also had to remain healthy themselves so that they can continue practicing and providing uh, services to their patients. So um, we've had to adjust our offerings uh, to provide support to our membership and other healthcare providers to deal with these changes. Yeah, and Todd and Tom, what is the uh, ACP strategy for connecting with HCPs via multimedia? Uh, I would say that um, one of the challenges we have is, first of all, there's a, there's a learning curve for everybody. This sort of non-personal uh, meeting kind of event is not something anybody's used to, regardless of the industry. And so for physicians, it's been, um, it's been hard because physicians, of course, uh, famously live in a... Uh, in an information-rich, time-poor environment, which is another way of saying they don't have a lot of time to be graceful about learning new technologies. So the idea that we've had a lot of these Zoom meetings and these interactive sorts of things that happen only online has been a learning curve for them as well as everyone else. 
uh, but we're making progress. So the first few times we had either events or webinars or even uh, multimedia kinds of stuff online, it was a learning curve to find out how to expose that and interact with that in the best possible way. And now, you know, six, eight, nine months in, everybody's getting much better at it. So I think there's a comfort level that's happened. And that was a real challenge at the beginning, but we we're really making progress. Yeah, I would add to that. Uh, you know, we're definitely broadening our content types and multimedia delivery options that we've had to implement due to COVID-19 uh, to give our physicians clear and relevant information to treat the, their patients during the pandemic. Uh, we saw a lot of things happening immediately after uh, we all started working from home. We all became remote, uh, and that included not only uh, the physicians, but everyone else, uh, including our production teams. Uh, our laptops became our production platform. Uh, even at, you know, we were working on uh, on on, la on uh, desktop platforms at work, and a lot of our uh, content production was being done on those. Um, becoming remote video producers and taking on that role was something that we had to do almost immediately uh, with this with this change. Uh, some of us had experience in doing that, and it was very helpful, but we had to actually take that on as almost a title as we moved forward. Uh, contacting and scheduling high-profile event participants to have them join our online remote events uh, became more difficult because our participants are physicians that taking, they're taking care of the COVID-19 pandemic people like Dr. Fauci, Dr. Kessler, Dr. Rachel Levine, others who have you know, little time in their schedule, but we had had to work them into our, you know, our schedules and their schedules to make it uh, possible to do a lot of these online remote forums and other multimedia events to get uh, the information out to the physicians that was needed. So you know, technical abilities are our staff, uh, technical abilities are our participants, getting them up to speed to work from their office or home quickly and determining how we would become a multimedia production team for remote productions uh, literally within a week or two after things really started shutting down. And you know, it was really interesting uh, to determine if we could rely on remote connections, computer equipment, reduce quality product, and determine you know, what platforms would be optimal and cheapest to provide us the needs for doing those remote, remote webinars. Um, we, we got into forum events and interactive content delivery. Um, we were doing some of that before, but COVID-19 changed all of that. I, I would add one more thing to that. You know, the, the era of the feature article, uh, article editor is really over. Uh, nowadays, if you're going to work in any kind of publishing, you have to be sort of an everyman. You have to have a toolkit that's more than just editing you know, articles in a certain way. You have to be conversant with multimedia, how it works, how it fits in with other types of uh, media and those kinds of things. So everybody on the team needs to be comfortable with lots of different media types. That's, a, that's really important. You want to give me kind of a quick inventory when we're, when we're talking about multimedia at the ACP, you know, multimedia video, uh, is there any gamification, you know, uh, event platforms, uh, of course, email and, and social. There's a lot of different ways we could talk about multimedia. What, what does multimedia for the ACP mean? Well, I would say we're, to, to us, multimedia means a lot of different things. We, we first think in terms of video, we think in terms of audio, we think in terms of images, and we have multimedia content based around all of those things. So there's video content, meaning discrete standalone video programs. We are doing podcasts, which are you know, pure audio, and we're doing graphic, uh, graphic image-based content, 
we have a category called graphic medicine mm -hmm. that is, I don't want to call it a comic book, yep. but basically it's graphic narratives. And we're doing all those different things, not because we think all of them will be successful, but because we don't know which ones will resonate with our audience. So it's important that we try them all. So when we think of multimedia, we think of a pretty broad kit of things we're doing. Great. So for the group and uh, Kevin, why don't you take this one first? You know, what is the biggest challenge you and your team is facing in 2021? The number one thing is to remain relevant. Um, you know, our, the clients are demanding more and more um, from their partners, their media partners. And unfortunately, in many cases, um, I'm kind of restricted in what I can and uh, provide to them. And what I mean by restricted is, you know, we have we work at the pleasure of our membership um, and it's their organization. And, um, you know, so we need our utmost responsibility is to their privacy. So we need to respect that. And, um, you know, more and more clients are looking for physician level data being uh, returned to them on, on programs. And in many instances and in all instances, I can't do that. Um, we cannot um, in any way compromise our members' privacy. Um, but I can return information back in the aggregate so that they're, you know, protected that way. Um, but uh, what is being asked, uh, and, and they are getting from for-profit organizations, is that real detail that unfortunately I can't pro uh, provide. So it's kind of been a challenging to remain relevant in what um, the demands are from industry and what uh, we can do. But I totally understand um, our position. And, um, and again, privacy is uh, of utmost importance for us and our members. What's the biggest surprise you've had in the past six to nine months or even projects that you're working on this year that were kind of unimaginable pre-pandemic? Well, I think there were at least two big surprises. One was that uh, the, the, the fact that we had this COVID thing happen to us, we, we, we occupy the space of internal medicine, which is, which is nice, and that represents a large number of physicians. But because that encompasses infectious disease, this whole COVID thing meant that we were gonna be sort of in the spotlight for providing uh, COVID content. So our online, uh, our online traffic just completely took off and we expected it to increase, but we didn't expect it to double and triple for sessions and page views and all those things overnight, which it did. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were seeing, we right. were beginning to see articles that had a million page views when we thought a month with a million page views was a good thing. So uh, we, um, we were surprised by that, but then we were also surprised, I think a little bit by the fact that we understood in this new world we had to live in that we were going to have to have online interactive events. And we began putting those together, some of them with some pretty well-known names out of the CDC and other places. And I was surprised at how successful they were. We really attracted a big audience. And this was folks to physicians, remember, so not the public at large, uh, but those did really well. Now, to make those things work, it's, it's a bit like a live event. You know, you have, to, you have to get a few things right. Like you have to have a topic people care about. You have to have people that uh, your audience wants to hear from. You have to have it at a time they can listen to it with the busy physician schedules. And you also have to be able to promote it to your audience. And if you get any one of those things wrong, then you can, you know, the thing cannot be successful. But we pretty much did a lot of those things pretty well. And I was surprised by how well these, these uh, events, these online events really did. Yeah, I'll add to that, uh, you know, getting speakers on a webinar from all over the US and even the world, we had speakers from all over having them interact in an open forum during the last 
you know, last year has been amazing. Um, working with high profile speakers uh, for remote events and getting an event set up takes a lot of people collaborating at the college, the marketing, advertising, editorial, publishing, and of course the production and, uh, you know, producing, producing the event all, you know, they're all involved with these events. And if you don't get everybody collaborating to do that, uh, it doesn't work well and it doesn't come off. And like Tom said, you know, that collaboration really was incredible this year and it really worked out well. And we were all working from home remotely. Uh, it can be kind of nerve wracking if you're producing the event, but we all, you know, we all pulled together as a team and really pulled it off. And uh, I personally never would have thought that uh, I'd be on these kind of events with this kind of high profile uh, with people, you know, like Dr. Fauci or Dr. Levine or Dr. Kessler on these events. It's, it's uh, like I said, it can be a little nerve wracking knowing they're the ones doing the talking and it has to go off perfectly. You know, so, so Todd, you know, have you seen acceleration of digital media or, you know, opportunities come out of this crisis to engage different parts of your membership? Yes, definitely. And uh, like we said, a lot of these events have come out of COVID-19 uh, and we would never have done some of these events. Maybe we would have, but not the same way. Uh, but we've had to quickly get up to speed on how to do them and uh, create these events. And like I said, a lot of that is a huge collaborative effort. And I think without COVID-19, you may not have seen as much of that. And it, of course, not as quickly as it happened either. Um, so we've got all kinds of multimedia events that we're now doing that uh, fill our calendars on a regular basis. Tom and I just got off of one this morning uh, with one of our one of our customers, and you know that event was being done there at that at that location prior to this. Now we're doing it totally remotely, and we're the ones uh, producing it. Uh, so definitely, yeah. I think one more thing we've discovered is that it, it turns out there are advantages to doing things in this sort of new uh, interactive online world. Uh, for one thing, sometimes it's actually easier to get experts because geography is no longer as important as it used to be. Uh, so if they have time and they can be available, they don't have to fly somewhere. They can be online uh, doing what you do. You can also do things uh, online as an event that you typically wouldn't do in a live audience. You know, you can do polls uh, very quickly and easily. You can have interactive Q&A where you can have multiple people tossing questions at you and select the best ones for answers. So there's still value in doing live events, even if they're online, because you can begin to start to do things that you couldn't do uh, in, a, in a big conference room somewhere. And Jason, I'd echo that with um, working with with clients, you know, on the on the on our side, um, it, it, it's really the access has been great. No longer you need to commute into New York or sit on I ninety five for an hour and a half to get to a you know a couple of meetings. Now, you know, if you just have fifteen minutes carved out of your schedule, you can you can actually um, work with your customers and and really be um, you know you're more accessible, but you can also be able to provide better service. I feel. Kevin, other uh, sales folks have uh, echoed those exact same sentiments that there have there have been a lot of opportunities sprung out of the pandemic and that they hope that they continue. It becomes more of a while they look forward to in-person returning, they hope that the the communication and the interactivity will continue yeah. from uh, a virtual standpoint. Because it's easy. Yeah, it's easy to carve out 10 minutes and just do a quick face to face and you're getting the personalization but, and uh, and it's, I just find it to be a little more effective. Tom, Todd, 
How about one of you start with uh, one of your biggest wins at the ACP when it comes to multimedia? Uh, we've had, we've had since the pandemic started, we've had three COVID-19 forums. Uh, they included uh, very high profile physicians from all over uh, the, the world. Uh, we've had 40 countries that attended that, uh, those uh, COVID forums. Um, and those events uh, were at typically on a Friday, we had uh, end of the week, we would have those uh, later in the day where a lot more people could attend. We had very high attendance rates for those forums and they were uh, a distribution of information for each one of those forums. We set up differently uh, to distribute information on exactly what was happening right at that moment, literally uh, watching what was happening that day. And then the physicians were introducing uh, more information about what was happening with COVID-19 vaccine distribution and um, giving physicians a lot of information that they needed to go back to their patients and an understanding of what was really going on, especially with a lot of miscommunication happening in the world and a lot of uh, information that may not even have been remotely correct. Uh, this was definitely a source of correct and, and the latest information from the highest level of uh, physicians uh, in our country. And Jason, that's one of the things our, our members view us as a trusted source of information. So they know if we're going to be broadcasting anything and bringing them anything that they can trust and bring it to their patients. And, and we have, we're fortunate to represent the largest specialty in medicine. So many, many of our members um, are in very influential physicians involved in the decision-making of, of this pan global pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure pre-pandemic you guys would do webinars, but this wasn't a webinar, right? I've heard that there's been a, there's had to have been a shift from thinking about doing the old webinar as a, you know, a lead generation tool and all that kind of stuff to doing a real live event virtually is, is a different animal, right, Todd? This, this was not a meeting on Zoom. This was a full webinar with thousands of attendees watching uh, a set of physicians and speakers talking. And uh, it's a very different animal when you're doing Zoom webinar than just setting up a meeting and everybody's showing up and everybody's throwing information through through the, uh, the Zoom, Zoom meeting. Uh, so we had to learn how to do this very quickly, understand how Zoom as a platform works and how we make that work for what we needed. Yeah, I think when some people think of webinar, what they really think of is just a sort of an online version of somebody giving a presentation. And as most people can tell you, uh, PowerPoint presentations don't improve when you put the person further away. So one of the things we were doing was to uh, really create more of a forum. That's why we called it a forum, but to really a forum of experts uh, talking about the issues and then adding those interactive elements that you can do online, like uh, having people be able to add questions and those kinds of things. So it's a way of giving our, our audience access to a panel of experts that you probably couldn't do in a real live setting. Probably one of the greatest challenges, Tom, was orchestrating this all. You had to be a maestro, uh, in a sense, and in, in making it flow and, and working all those elements together. Yes, well, I, I, I can tell you that I'm very happy I didn't have to work on the logistics side because uh, that may have been the hardest part of putting this whole thing together. But we did have a team of people who worked with, because uh, some of these people you know, are very high level um, folks at the CDC and so on, they have limited time and they live in the time to sort out the logistics. So we had some folks on our side who just kind of dedicated themselves to putting that piece of this thing together. 
And that's not something you can really underestimate as you put these programs uh, together because that can be a real time sink and you have to be patient and be willing to, you know, roll with people's schedules. But it was a big part of putting this whole thing together, no question about it. Jason, that's one of the things that we've, that's one yeah. of the things that um, we've really uncovered and, and what I've uncovered, you know, as a sales professional, you gotta be nimble in, in, in this changing times. Uh, you gotta be willing to adapt, you gotta be nimble and you gotta willing to be willing to try things. You know, I'm doing a few things with some clients, we're doing pilot programs, we're just testing the waters to see if things will actually work. And if they do work, well, hey, we got a program. Um, if they don't, oh, well, you know, we gave it a try. Um, and that's kind of been fun in this this new uh, new era, if you will, of um, of the digital landscape and, and COVID. That is the acceleration of of the pandemic, right? That pilot programs were not popular from a pharmaceutical side for for the last five ten years, whether it be podcasts or. So, yeah, so. no, you're absolutely right. I, I am a pilot, uh, FAA certified pilot, but so, but, uh, but uh, I do like, um, I have um, had conversations and am, have engaged a, a few of our customers and clients um, with pilot programs and we're doing testing right now with some of our membership. And that's the beauty of working with a membership organization is that we've got, um, you know, panels of physicians who are readily available to help us test things. I would come off of that using the word pilot and, and flying is we, we started off flying by the seat of our pants in a sense, and we had experience, which was good. And we used that experience. But uh, an example is, you know, when we first did our first forum, we had project plans, we had meetings and lots of meetings. Uh, we're now doing those forums. We have another forum coming up very soon. We barely have to go through the project plan because everybody knows what they're doing. And we have that pretty much set up. And it gets a lot easier as time goes on. We become, I would say, experts at what we're doing. Um, and then, of course, the next thing's going to come up, and we'll have to shift for that as well. But that's something we have to be. So we've to. gone from student pilot to fighter pilot, Todd. <laughs> I think so. Yes, definitely. Uh, any other uh, multimedia wins for the ACP you guys want to talk about? Well, I guess we could talk. You know, even pre-COVID, we were beginning to pay attention to the whole multimedia space. And so to that, to that end, we put together a number of programs, uh, partly because we don't always know exactly what will resonate with our audience. So we put together a talk show probably four or five years ago. Uh, it's called The Consult Guys. And basically it's, it's two internal medicine physicians talking about uh, cases, uh, but it's in a talk show format. And these two guys have great personalities. So it's a really engaging program and it's very, very popular. And that's a pure video uh, program. There's no articles or anything else attached to it. We also created a new podcast about uh, two years ago, and that's done really well, called Annals on Call. And that's where we have a, uh, a physician who uh, interviews folks who have authored articles for us and really drills into the issues surrounding those articles and the implications for how clinicians use those. I mean, our audience is certainly niche compared to somebody who's talking about race cards or something, but nonetheless, that's been very successful too. So we've really had some very pleasing successes even ahead of the whole COVID, you know, mania thing going on. We'll be right back with our friends from the American College of Physicians after a word from the Association of Medical Media. Hi, I'm Jess Campbell from the Association of Medical Media. I'm thrilled you're listening to this episode of our regular podcast series, AMM Conversations. A key pillar of the AMM's mission is to provide a forum for sharing thoughts, ideas, and best practices. That's why, along with this podcast, 
the AMM is pleased to host a number of other resources located on our website, ammonline.org. These include our new podcast series, John Lachlan's Read Your Profile, and member resources located within our knowledge exchange, such as our Medical Media Matters Fact Sheet, CHC Policy Updates, and AMM Conversation Special Reports. Check out these resources, become a member of the Association of Medical Media, and keep an eye out for information regarding our annual NEXT Awards planned for June 15th by visiting ammonline.org. We're back with the publishing staff from the American College of Physicians. Now let's continue the conversation. Podcasts can be difficult to track. You know, what advertisers want is they want to sort of know who's listening and how many there are. And that's a challenge with podcasts because if you have one that's moderately successful, it'll go off into syndication land and it may be picked up by lots of uh, aggregators and that can be very hard to track. And so for advertisers, it's, it's hard to go to them and say, well, we have X number of users because we may not know. So in that case, that's where you sometimes have to partner and say, well, let's, let's go ahead and try this. We think this is a successful podcast. It has lots of listeners. Maybe let's put some unique messaging at the front or back of this podcast that goes back to an advertiser site. And that gives us an idea of what the response might look like. But there's not really a way to predict that in advance. That's an area where sometimes an advertiser is going to have to say, maybe let's work on a pilot. And that's a, and, and that's a real world um, example that Tom just shared, because with some of the folks that I'm working with, they want to know if we have that usership information. And with, you know, with 30 to 50 aggregators out there, it's hard to accumulate that data. So uh, they understand the challenges with podcasts and, and the usage because of what Tom just mentioned. When I was running my podcast team, we were running into issues with just assets. They didn't have the assets. So guess what? We had to go out and write scripts for them and hire a professional voice to actually record their message for them. How are you going to price that? You know, it's like you said, it's, it's really just a, a have faith in us. This, this product will do well. Um, kind of a message with farmer partner with partner with this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's some of the things we're having to go and do voiceovers and do, you know, quick uh, 10 second intros and outros and, and things of that nature. You know, we don't want to get into doing, um, you know, 90, 90 second commercials in the middle of the podcast because you'll, you'll lose your listener. So it's really just snippets in, in the intro and outro, but yeah, we've had to partner with, um, uh, with some of our um, clients uh, to get that done as well. Cause they just didn't have it. Can we talk about something that's not gone as planned or that you've had to pivot from or just completely shutter at the ACP in, in the last, you know, six, nine, 12 months? It's, it's often the case. It's not really a matter of something failing or not failing, because typically it's really not that uh, clear cut. Sometimes it's just something where you thought the performance would be X and it's not quite meeting your expectations. And we've had a couple of those kinds of programs where we've built things like uh, patient simulation engines and so on for education that we thought would be very popular and they were to, you know, maybe two dozen people. So that was not something that met our expectations. So sometimes you have to have really clear goals and ideas about what you're gonna think uh, success means to you before you go in. And then, you know, X number of months or years later, you look at it and if it's not meeting your expectations, it doesn't really mean it failed because you probably learned something from it, but it's just not performing. So you decide to pull the plug. And we've, on occasion, we've had to do that. Uh, any other uh, any other things, uh, Kev, that you guys have uh, taken off the rate sheet? <laughs> not, not not anything specific. I'm always looking to add to the rate sheet. Anything new and exciting to sell out there? Um, so no, not 
well, in-person events? Oh, in-person events has really, has really been uh, a big challenge for us. And, and, you know, like I mentioned, we had to adapt. And this year, our internal medicine meeting 2021, our annual convention, will be 100% virtual. And that's been a big learning curve for all of us. Um, you know, putting on an online event, we're going to have upwards of, you know, eight to 10,000 attendees. And how do you keep them engaged? Um, we're going to be presenting upwards of 250 CME events. We're going to have a virtual convention floor. Um, and then, you know, other um, offerings as well. Um, so, you know, that has been fun because we're, we're learning a brand new business and, and, um, we're hoping for its success, but it's been a challenge at the other, uh, on the other side, um, making sure that what we're going to present is of value. And, you know, if you would hope to have someone sit in front of a screen for eight to 10 hours uh, and consume CME, I think you're kidding yourself. You know, they're going to be in and out for their particular events. And, and um, you know, when you're moving from one event to another, how do you keep them engaged? Is it gamification? Is it, uh, you know, is it uh, Jeopardy style questions, you know, medically related to keep them from getting out of the seat and doing laundry or going to the refrigerator and doing something else? So, and, and then having hosts, you have to have some really good quality hosts to keep people engaged and, and people to want to tune in. And then in the future, I think, you know, it's one of the things um, that we discuss in the future. What do we see the meetings becoming? And I think it's going to be a hybrid format in the future. I'm not sure everyone's going to be running to in-person events immediately, you know, when we're all vaccinated and we all feel comfortable. Yeah. And I've, I've heard, sorry, Todd, I've heard from the event folks that they're scared of that day that's coming where they have to do both the full-size live and potentially a full-sized virtual in that full-sized hybrid space. That is a little daunting to look at and say, yeah, we did it this way and we were okay with doing it that way. Now we're doing it this way now. Now we got to do both going forward and see how is the mix of that going to, um, what is it going to require? <laughs> what are we going to have to do to make that shift? And then how far do we go in either direction? And Jason, one of the other areas I'm responsible for is the recruitment side of the business, uh, recruitment, advertising, and, and meetings. Um, you know, we help our members um, you know, land their jobs or make a job uh, change. And so we're exploring and we'll be conducting virtual career fairs in the future in 2021 and, and moving forward. And that's a perfect market to be doing um, virtually because now you're able to bring people from all around the country into, you know, for a short period of time, maybe it's three hours or so, and they can actually meet uh, potential employers. So uh, that that's an area we that's really going to expand for us. Yeah, Jason, you, before you you brought up the, you know, what are the failures or the things that we've seen as failures? One of the things that I'm happy to do is learn from other people's failures. And we've seen lots and lots of other meetings, online meetings and forums and other events and multimedia. Um, we attend those. I attend those to see how other people are doing it and what are they failing in. And then we take that and we hope that we don't do the same thing. Uh, and create our own failures. But uh, there's a lot of learning going on from all of this. There's a, yeah. there's a word for, isn't that voyeurism? Or something, something like that. Professional voyeurism. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's, let's talk about engaging, you know, HCPs, healthcare professionals. Um, you know, it can be a rigorous task getting these people to interact with everything that you do. We hope that, or, you know, you hope that they inter interact with as much as you send out there. What's, what's the ACP's secret sauce i would i would use the word relevance and getting relevant information that's very timely out to 
the physicians that are our customers and making sure that uh, what we are giving them is relevant and also uh, trusted information uh, at the point where it's needed. Fortunately, our members do trust us. Um, you know, that is one of the, the things that we, in, in our uh, surveys, we do over and over again. They know we are a trusted and valuable source of information for their practice. Have we evolved to the point yet in medical media where certain types of information are delivered only via multimedia? instead of being a partner to a print or other type of delivery system, shall we call it? Well, I think some of the things that we're doing, like these forums, are things you can only really do as an interactive or multimedia event, because the only way to have multiple participants contributing at the same time. Uh, even though you had, may have a clinical article that has lots of contributors, uh, typically they're all focused on a single message and whatever that article is concerning. When you have a panel of experts, uh, they can have different viewpoints, but they can also sort of find ways to uh, understand how, you know, different issues need to be resolved, even if not everybody's on the same page. And you get to see that sort of thing happening in real time as a discussion. So those kinds of things are really interesting and I think useful to our physicians, you know, the clinical guys who live in the real world and have to deal with real issues where sometimes the answers aren't, you know, black and white. Yeah, completely understand. I mean, I guess the, the simple, you know, question there is, you know, if, the, the forums that Todd and Tom are talking about are showing virtual success. Is that making it easy for you and your team to be able to find sponsorship for them? Um, it's, it's getting me the conversations, Jason. It's getting me the conversations with, um, with product managers and, and media professionals uh, because they're seeing what we're doing and they're, um, they know it's been successful and they see some of the high profile people who are members and uh, and part of our program so you know again this is something that's um, i want to just call it an emerging market for us so you know i'm seeing much better things and bigger things happening in the next 12 months um, in regards to multimedia kevin i wanted to come back to um i apologize i wanted to come back to uh virtual events for just a moment and you know you you know, ACP has made the decision to go with a full virtual. I know a number of other medical associations are starting in-person events this summer. Many virtual, many medical meetings um, that postponed or canceled or went straight virtual, full virtual in 2020, sponsors were good and sponsors were holding up their end of the bargain in terms of sticking with no matter what kind of event you had. There is a concern going forward this year based upon some of the results of virtual events last year that sponsors are not going to be as willing to sponsor a virtual event this year. I'm stumbling around on this question. Basically, have you had any fall off or backlash or less interest in sponsorship this year when you announced that you're going to be full virtual yeah, and Jason, I'm not responsible for convention, convention sales, or and things of that nature. So I'm going to give you, you know, a real broad answer. And um, we have not seen fall off. Um, we're seeing, um, you know, the, the the exhibitors and the participants that have been with us in the past coming back, um, and perhaps maybe the growing pains out of uh, doing virtual events last year, which we didn't have an event, we just canceled. So this will be our first virtual event. Um, maybe they've learned from that, because um, I remember last year, many of the, um, the sponsors were um, not keen on participating in many different uh, different conventions because each 
association used their own uh, virtual platform. So they had to redesign their booths and or their offerings to, to you know, to uh, be able to uh, accommodate a different platforms. So I think most people are now leaning towards a particular platform. So now that the sponsors can move across them seamlessly um, and not being as frustrated and things are being ironed out, you know, in terms of booth hours, a number of hours, things of that nature that they need to have um, professional sales reps in the booth to answer physician questions, you know, at, at, on the exhibit floor. Great. Yeah. In fact, one of the event planners I worked with actually said, echoed what you said in that, you know, most physicians or, or, you know, exhibit hall attendants can stumble out of an airport and find their way to the exhibit floor through, versus be able to, you know, navigate the minefield of different 10 different uh, virtual event platforms. Um, you know, there's, there is some symbiosis, some commonality to, I have to, I know where the San Diego convention center is. And if not, I just tell the, the Uber guy to go there and, I follow the signs and I, I, I'm there. There's a naturalness to it. So yeah, some of the pla- yeah some of the platforms are really emerging as the leaders. Um, you know, when pandemic uh, first occurred, it was everybody just got into the meeting business. <laughs> you know, and I think some of the better um, you know after some of the better organizations have emerged and, and they're being embraced by uh, by the larger associations. Great, and thanks for your time, guys. We'll just we'll just wrap up with a couple of questions about marketing and then uh, just kind of a looking forward. So. Um, you know, Tom, Todd, you know, in today's overcrowded world of, uh, medical content, marketing obviously plays an important role. Um, where are, where's ACP seeing the most bang for its buck in terms of engaging and driving HCPs to your content? Well, I think in terms of multimedia, one of the biggest challenges is that, uh, discoverability can be hard to manage. You know, when you have written content, article content, the search engines can surf that stuff and make sense of it pretty well. But when you have a video or a podcast, which is pure audio, or even an image, which may or may not have good metadata attached to it, it can be hard to make that discoverable by your audience. So one of the things people are doing now is creating things like transcripts attached to things or or being better with images to make sure there's a good set of metadata attached. So the search engines can add multimedia to the mix when people are looking for content. But the place where I think we've had the most success is that we brought in, I guess about six years ago, a guy who had a real strong background in marketing automation, basically email broadcasts. And he was able to grow our list uh, by about 20 times over the past six years or so. And that's a real, you know, I know emails are not sexy and they're kind of old fashioned now, but they're just a huge driver for us of, of content. And we can look at our analytics and when those emails go out, you see those blips every time there's, a, there's an email. It's a real strong performer for us. And to the extent that he's been able to manage that list and make sure it's a good list and clean it and prune it and do all the things you have to do to manage it properly, it's really been uh, probably our biggest driver of traffic. And being the guy that sells the traffic, um, I can attest that it, uh, what Tom and echo what Tom just said, um, you know, it, our largest traffic driver are those emails. Great. Rapid fire question for everybody. What's next for ACP when it comes to multimedia or social media? Well, I can say just broadly on the topic of social media, uh, we, we, one of the things we look at you know, with our analytics, like everybody else, is where do people come from? And I can, I can tell you that in the last five years, social has gone from essentially negligible as part of our source traffic 
to now probably up to somewhere between 12 and 15%. And that's pretty strong growth. Now we have people in our group who really focus on social media and they're very, they've gotten very good at it. So that helps quite a bit. Uh, but social is really emerging as a traffic driver. It used to be a three. It used to be the organic search, uh, direct traffic from emails, and then sort of uh, directs from other sort of known sources. And social is really becoming one of those big factors for us. So I see that only continuing here in the next few years. That's all for this episode of AMM Conversation. Thanks for listening. AMM Conversation is the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. Make sure to join us again next week when we host another roundtable examining best practices for social and multimedia. Make sure to listen to each and every episode of AMM Conversation on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Kindly leave us a comment, subscribe, follow, or share this podcast. We appreciate the engagement. Also make sure to check out the AMM website, www.ammonline.org for the latest information and resources on medical media. In addition to fact sheets, industry research, and special reports, you can watch my monthly healthcare policy update featuring Beltway Insider John Bigelow or the new YouTube series, John Lochran Viewed Your Profile, on AMM's new YouTube channel. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the guests and not necessarily to the host or AMM or any other group or individual.